welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. I'm your host, Candace Hagens, and as always, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk Hawks with you guys. So as you by well know, the Seattle Seahawks lost their week three matchup against the Atlanta Falcons. And it was a close battle. It really was an entertaining battle throughout. It was a lot of back and forth. This team really matched up well with the Seattle Seahawks. And in the end, Geno did have an opportunity to win the game. He had an opportunity to have a game-winning drive. And because of a holding penalty by Damian Lewis, which was a legitimate hold, by the way, the drive pretty much got killed. And Geno ended up trying to force something to make it happen in the end. And he ended up throwing an interception. And, of course, the Falcons were able to basically do victory formation. It's a very winnable game. It really was. And it is disappointing, honestly, that they couldn't pull this out because there were a lot of positive things to take away from this game. There really were. And we'll go into that. We'll break all of that down. But before I go into my thoughts on the game and my takeaways of the game, I've seen this narrative that comes against Geno, the offense. And just let me, I just want to establish this from the beginning. If your takeaway is that the problem was Geno, or anything related to the offense, really. You're wrong. You're mistaken. The issue is not the offense. Not in this game. Geno threw 325 yards. Geno played a game. He had two touchdowns this time. People complained about him not getting points up. And sure, is he good in the second half? No. He's only gotten three points in the second half. I understand that. And that's not good. But understand something. Gino is being paid $3 million. And the expectation and the standard can't be that he's going to make your talent better or elevate the, this roster. That's not what Gino's here to do. Gino's not here to make game winning drives and make magic happen in the end. He's not Russell Wilson. And so that's just so important to understand. Gino is being played. $3 million. So it's important not to attach $30 million expectations to a quarterback that's being paid $3 million. He's already ex- exceeding a lot of people's expectation. Now I can toot my own horn here real quick and say I thought Gino could do around this type of performance. But for many, he's exceeding their expectations already. That has to be enough. I'm not saying he's not above criticism by any means, but I'm saying you're getting the value in the $3 million, unbelievable value in the $3 million. There are much more expensive backup quarterbacks. Gardner Minshew is more expensive. And Geno's really putting the value out there. So that's important. And I also want to point out that not every quarterback is going to be clutch. You can be an elite quarterback and not be clutch. And I know in Seattle, that's the standard. You're elite if you can do game-winning drives on a consistent basis, right? Wrong. Just because that's what the Seattle Seahawks fan base is used to, that's not how it works in the NFL. The elite quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Herbert, he's not an elite closer or clutch guy. I mean, sometimes he's kind of the opposite, but he's still considered one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league. Lamar Jackson while he's had game-winning drives, and while he's capable of it, there are plenty of times where he doesn't. It's not consistent. That's not his thing. Even Patrick Mahomes, just the other Sunday, that was an opportunity for a game. I mean, and, and he couldn't, that, that didn't happen. And sometimes, a lot of times, Mahomes can't, right? So Mahomes is more along the lines of what a Russell Wilson is in terms of being able to regularly do game-winning drives. But there are many others most in this league aren't going to consistently do that. Now, you want them to be able to put you in position and give you a chance. But that's no different than what Geno did. So even when we get the new quarterback, please don't have that be the standard and the expectation. Russell was special that way. You don't have Russell anymore. I don't even know if Denver has Russell. 
but nevertheless that's not that doesn't exist anymore and i don't know if the seahawks will experience that on as regular basis as we're used to again so with that said i'm gonna you know we get into the breakdowns I'll talk a little bit about that also just want to real quick for those of you who are upset with waldron and dk please don't be dk i think he had some i think dk made some tough catches and sure he did not have a good catch percentage but some of those targets weren't great targets um Gino is still Gino some of them could have been if it would have been placed better he would have been able to take better better advantage of the opportunities um sometimes you know like that ball that the big drop everybody's mad at him about that ball was tipped so just say you know cut the offensive a break cut the offensive break offense did everything it could to keep the team in it they really did was it perfect no were there flaws? Yes. But surely, in this season, we didn't expect a flawless game from the offense. Surely, no one had that expectation. So, let's just, when when I'm giving my breakdown and my takeaways, I'm not going to acknowledge those things. You aren't going to hear those things from me, and that's why. I just wanted to kind of put that out there before we got into it, but there is plenty to talk about with this football game. So, let's get into it and talk some Hawks. All right, so I started off and I talked about a few of the positive things that I took away from the game. And I do have more, so that's not it. But because I started off that way, I will talk about some of the things that I felt like did cost this team the game. So first of all, let's talk about the obvious. And that's the run defense, which has been absolutely abysmal. And to this point, is ranked 30th in the NFL. Or really, they're tied at 30 and 31. So, tied with Chicago with 157 rushing yards allowed per game. The only team worse is Houston, and they're allowing 200 yards per game, but they're Houston. So, obviously, terrible. Pretty much worse in the league run defense. And this was an issue in the, I mean, it's been an issue all season. And we were told that they would change some things and make it better. And I think to some degree, I did see some progress. I'll, I'll say that. I think schematically, some of those things were cleaned up. I did see Jordan Brooks getting a little cleaner, having a little bit more space to make tackles. He looked better in this game. To me, that tells me it actually wasn't Jordan Brooks. It was just the scheme. Uh, so Jordan Brooks looked better. I'll talk a little bit more about that. He was able to make some tackles. He struggled still too, but I think... Some of the schematic things were changed up that allowed for basically the guards to go straight to the linebackers. Now, I think there's still the issue with the edge, though. That 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 seems to be the real problem. And if you really go back and you watch the film, which I did, going back and watching the film, Daryl Taylor. I've talked about this before. But, I mean, he really is the the weak link on that defense. Sometimes I don't even see a lot of effort to get off the initial block. I don't see any initial pass move to pass rush moves past that first one. Sometimes it just looks like he's engaging in the block and not doing anything actively to get off of it. Sometimes he's just flat pancaked or rolled over. And it's really, it's poor. And... It needs to be fixed. I think some of the biggest issues with the run defense is personnel. It's in part Daryl Taylor, as I just said, but also Cody Barton has always been a reliability in the run. And I think that shows on a touchdown pass or touchdown run, rather, for Cadell Patterson. He just had this wide open, wide open outlet to the edge. And that one wasn't particularly on Daryl Taylor. He went past Brian Monet, but it really was the linebacker's job there to sort of be that stopgap. But because Cody Barton, he just, he completely messed that play up. He was just stuck on a block and he didn't even really, he, he kind of made the decision to, to go with the blocker and not the ball carrier. So I don't understand what exactly went wrong with that for him, but he allowed that touchdown. So I think Daryl Taylor is the bigger issue, but I also would say secondary is Cody Barton. At this point, I think you got to start questioning personnel. Schematically, sure. 
I think there are some additional things they can do, run more bare fronts that seemed to be effective last year. Even when they were struggling defensively, that seemed to be effective for them. I think you might see a little bit more of that in this upcoming game against the Lions. But I think that that's progressing. Personnel needs to be addressed. And I personally am at the point where I'm not interested in seeing Daryl Taylor as anything other than a situational rotational running back. I talked about this a little bit on my channel, uh, on my Twitter handle. Follow me at CandiceH901. But, and follow the show at Sports and Sports Ethos. But one of the things I talked about was, even though Boye Mafe was, he does not have the upside maybe that a Daryl Taylor has right now in terms of pass rush ability and splash. Because I think the potential is still there for him to get where Daryl Taylor is. But in terms of the pure, the bend, the athleticism. Boye is not there, but he's a much more rounded player and he's younger. Well, and he's, he's a rookie. He's less experienced at least. I'd actually have to go back and double check because I know Mafe was an older prospect, but he doesn't have a lot of years of experience in this. And so he's still got a lot to learn. I would rather see the more well-rounded, but less experienced player play it. I'm not saying Taylor has a ton of experience. He doesn't. But he's such a liability in the run that it's that he's almost unplayable. There are plays where he looks completely unplayable with a floor that low. I just think you 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 can't afford. I mean, if you want to win a single game, you can't afford to keep having him on the field as often as he did. And they did decrease his snaps significantly. You know, he only got sixty-seven percent of the snaps. But I I think they need to just start Boye Mafe. And bring Daryl Taylor in as a situational rotational guy. That even that even may be his best fit. Like we might actually see him play better if he's playing in that role versus starting right now. So I did just a little bit of a deep dive. I just I was just curious to compare sort of what you would lose versus what you would gain if you started Boye Mafe over Daryl Taylor. Now, this is to be admitted, Mafe has had very limited snaps. And I'm only really comparing them just this past game and this past matchup, and, and it's against the Falcons. So I will give the caveat that Boye would obviously look better against the Falcons because they're sort of a poor team. And so maybe there is a maybe there is not as big of a gap here. Um, maybe if they play a little bit more elite talent. But when you look at the last game where they played you know, at least more similar. I think Boye had a bigger sample size um, than he did the previous game. I want to say he played 30 snaps, something like that, 30-plus snaps at least. So it was a bigger sample size than he's played in the past games. If you compare the run defense, this is according to PFF, Mafe graded out with a team high run grade of 79. In fact... Mafe is actually, he's ranked eighth when it comes to run defense overall in the NFL, which is right along the lines of the Micah Parsons and the Khalil Mack. So that's, it's pretty incredible. But Daryl Taylor's PFF grade last game was a 35.2. Huge difference, right? Night and day. All right. But we knew that, right? You can look on the film and say that that's obvious. When it comes to coverage, Mafe was graded a 60. Daryl Taylor, a 60.5. So not that big of a drop-off. Really, they're the same. They were the same in terms of coverage snaps and what they gave you. So really, you wouldn't have lost anything by putting Mafe over Taylor. Now, here's where the argument can be made that Taylor is, you know, better than Mafe. Taylor's pass rush PFF grade was a 73, and Mafe's was a 60.3. So obviously Taylor is more splashy, um, things like that. But here's the thing. They both had a 12.5% pass rush win rate. And so when you look at that, yes, Taylor is the, the flashier, splashier player. Yes, he had a strip sack in this game. But there were so many other plays that were so much worse that hurt the whole team that I just wonder how long you can continue to hurt the team for his upside. At some point, 
you lose value on that, especially because he's just we're not seeing a ton of production from him when it comes to the pass rush. If you're going to be that bad in the run game, you have to really be special as a pass rusher. And he looks special on film sometimes, but that's not equaling production. And that's not something that's sustainable, and it's not something this team can afford to do. Like I said, that if they plan on winning any games, now if the goal is a tank, keep putting Daryl Taylor out there if you don't want to win a single game. But it's hard to watch, honestly. Like, it's unwatchable. It's frustrating to watch. And so even the, the, the people who want the team to tank, I'm not sure they want to watch that for, what, 14 more games? I don't think anybody wants that. So my campaign to start Boye Mafe began on Sunday, and I will continue my campaign until proven wrong. At this point, I just say it's worth a shot. Start him against the Lions. See what happens. That's my thought. All right, so enough about the run defense. We talked about that. There were other areas on defense that were a challenge too. Tariq Woolen was not one of them, and we'll come back to that. But Michael Jackson, he had a bad game. He was bad. Who's bad? Michael Jackson <laughs> literally was what happened on the field. Now, sometimes he just got beat. I just think he doesn't have the quickness and the speed and obviously the tools that Tariq Woolen has to play up against a Cal Pitts. They put Cal Pitts up against Michael Jackson on purpose because I think quarterbacks do respect and, and teams respect Woolen and his measurables, his abilities and what he can do. I don't think they too often want to try him. So they tested Michael Jackson, and he's going to have to be able to hold up in those type of situations. If he can't, you know, I say we should move on to other options. I'm, I'm team, put the team in position to at least be competitive. You know, it's not, I know guys want to tank. Some of you guys want to tank, but I still don't feel like it's advantageous for this team to go into the end of this season and saying, we have, we really don't know who we can count on for the future. You want to put in some building blocks for the future. You want to say, these units are taken care of. You don't want to go into this next draft with just as many holes. And if you tanked and beating the Broncos is your only win, that doesn't that doesn't help. I mean, people think it helps, but it really doesn't to have to replace your entire offensive and defensive units going into a draft because you tanked. So with that said, I think it's best to replace – if I give Jackson one more game, it just could have been a bad matchup situation. But if he plays like that continually, I'd like to see Artie, uh, Artie Burns come in and, and compete with this guy. I think Sidney Jones should still be playing, but Pete Carroll in his comments over the week made it clear that he doesn't intend to start Sidney Jones unless, you know, something happens. They really want to see the young guys play. I get it, and I think I agree with the principle, but... If that's the case, you still have to. Michael Jackson's, he's 25. He's had his chance in the league, so he's not particularly a young guy. Honestly, I'd rather see Kobe Bryant put on the outside again because I just don't think he's in an advantageous position at nickel. Kobe Bryant was absolutely dominant in training camp based on all reports, and he was really pushing the starters. And then they put him in nickel, and nobody would talk about him, and he looked bad in preseason games. And it looks bad in games now like this. And I just don't think that Nickel is a good spot for him. I think I'd rather see over Michael Jackson than put Kobe Bryant back and see what he can do on the outside because he's got the skills. And I think he can be that. He's used to being that guy across from Sauce Gardner who who has who gets picked on, who gets targeted because nobody wants to throw to the other side. And he held up well in those situations. And I just feel like that's your approaching territory where you got to reevaluate. I mean, you just do. It's important to reevaluate. And so I hope this team will be open to changing the Michael Jackson spot if he continues to struggle. I hope they're not sold at Kobe, Kobe Bryant being a nickel because I just, they saw how well he played at the outside cornerback spot. So consider putting him back there. This team still struggles and it frustrates me putting personnel out of place. And I'm seeing it happen with Kobe Bryant. And I'm just hoping it's not killing his confidence because he's going to need that if they move him back to the outside. So we'll see on Michael Jackson. But he did not play well against Kyle Pitts. He got beat a few times. Sometimes he was just out of position. That kind of thing. A few bad penalties. So that didn't help. 
But I really think if they can get the run defense under control, Tariq Woolen being so good, uh, Michael Jackson being solid, I think the team, the overall team defense, could help dramatically. But they got to clean up that run defense. I think it can make all the difference. Now, I actually feel like they're closer than a lot of people may feel. Um, I think we could start seeing some significant differences by week five, uh, week six. Because, like I said, I saw the progress schematically. I saw the linebackers be a little bit cleaner. Um, I saw a lot of plays come down to the breakdown of a specific player, namely Daryl Taylor, rather than just everything looks a mess, right? Uh, Boye Mafe really made a difference in that run game. It was significant and it was obvious when he was on the field. And if you're playing, him, if you're playing like that, you can clean that run game up real quick so we'll see what they do on that but that was i think the number one reason why this team lost the game and penalties i mentioned penalties you know Tariq had one michael jackson had penalties it wasn't as bad as for 57 yards if i'm not mistaken but about 50 yards was what it was and that was better than 100 yards but i still think if they can just get even those down down a you know you can't expect this team to not have penalties they're super young but you would want to see you know more like 30 yards something like that that they can sustain a little bit better because the team isn't good enough to they have to avoid beating themselves because the team isn't yet that talented they've got all the potential in the world but the talent has not been realized yet on the football field and so Hopefully they can continue to progress in that. But I I would say that was a positive thing. Here's another reason why I feel like we lost this game. This team absolutely needs more from its veterans. I feel like the biggest disappointments to this point have been the vets. And excluding Daryl Taylor, because he's still a young player. It's the vets. Yeah, two missed tackles from Quandre Diggs. All pro safety or he's not all pro, but pro bowl safety, Quandre Diggs. Damian Lewis had a hold, as I mentioned, absolutely killed the final drive. You cannot have that at that moment. And he's been around long enough to know, is he still relatively young? Yes, but I mean, those those aren't the kind of mistakes you can afford from him at all. Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson has been atrocious. Gabe Jackson has been hard to watch. Go back and watching that film. He just looks like he's getting blown back. Play after play after play. He's not good in the run game. And he's not good at protecting. Let's give Phil Haynes a shot. You know, I'm team switch up the personnel this week. That's what that's sort of what I'm seeing and what I'm advocating for. Give Phil Haynes a shot at this point. Gabe Jackson isn't giving you anything. I, I think the thought was to have a veteran presence on a very young offensive line with two offensive tackles, with two offensive tackles who are rookies. But those guys have held up. And you know who's been the letdown? You know what's made it harder on the rookies? Having that guy in the interior of the offense. He has struggled mightily. And while he didn't look as bad as he did against the 49ers, that's because the Falcons don't have as any lead of a pa- as a pass rush as the 49ers. I saw the guy getting blown back from just average dudes. Just dudes blowing this guy back. Like, yes, I mean, it's almost immediate at times. I want to see Gabe Jackson moved on from. I mean, he's just not giving you anything of value. Blythe isn't playing better. And he's rated by PFF as the worst center in the league. I'm not sure I feel that way. But also, you know. See, I also are really used to looking at trash play from centers on that on that uh, in the third quarter when the Seahawks were in the end zone and it was a red zone play. They were third, third and three, I think. And, and so Gino throws to the outside. He throws. It ends up being far above Metcalf's head. Uh, Metcalf didn't even have enough time to. Really get into his route. He hadn't even got his head turned around. Not because that's DK's fault, but because the center just absolutely doesn't block the guy. And he just comes in in Geno's face. And so I know guys are upset with Geno for 
not playing well in the second half, a lot of that has to do with the defensive adjustments that are being made in halftime in the offensive lines, lack of ability, especially in the interior, to hold up. Now, Cross, I think his issue is tending to to get worse in the fourth quarter. And so I, that's part of it. I actually really don't even think it's all on Geno. But the center, like I said, didn't even block the guy. And Gabe's worse in the second half than he is in the first half. And so I think a, a part of what you're seeing from Geno is reflective of what's happening on the offensive line. That was a good opportunity, and Geno would not have thrown that ball that soon if it wasn't for the pressure. He basically just threw it away because of the pressure. And that's the stuff I'm talking about. Those are the things I'm talking about. That we need more from the veterans. The veterans have to step up. It's it's really the rookies who are giving us hope. And that's what you want, I guess. But also, veterans are veterans for a reason. They're supposed to be there to help the rookies. I think in more cases than not, they're hurting. They're hurting. So my thought, my takeaway from this, is that there just needs to be some personnel changes. If it were me, if I was a coach, I'd be starting Phil Haynes, giving him a shot. You can't really do anything about center. I saw that they have uh, worked out Joey Hunt. That doesn't excite me. But Austin Blythe, he's ranked as the worst in the league. So I guess you can't get, I guess you can, I feel like it can get worse. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. At this point, it's worth a shot. Like If they hire and brought on Joey Hunt, so be it at this point. So there's that. I Like I mentioned, I'd be starting Boye over Daryl Taylor. I'd be starting... Kobe Bryant, if you're going to go youth movement, like they talked about, go Kobe Bryant and start him on the outside. Well, I know you can't do that till Justin Coleman comes back, but maybe Artie Burns. Burns, I'm curious to see what he'd look like instead of a Michael Jackson. And then finally, the last personnel change that I would make to make a difference in this game and, and what I think may make a difference moving forward is incorporate a little bit more Ryan Neal. I think Ryan Neal might... He's proven that he can be ahead on the depth chart compared to Josh Jones. Josh Jones did not have a good game either. Um, You know, he is supposed to be the backup, and so it's not his fault that Jamal Addis went out. I'm not mad at him. I think he's excellent in depth. I really do. But I think he's playing, you know, we're asking more of him than he can provide. That's obvious. But Ryan Neal has shined in place of Jamal Adams and really been able to allow the defense to play some of the same plays and some of the same schemes now it's a different scheme than it was before so maybe that's the hesitancy but I think you know give him a few snaps give him I mean he he had two snaps in the first game four snaps in second game he didn't play any in game three I'd like to see him get you know maybe 15 snaps just see what he looks like and then go from there so that's my thoughts on everything that went wrong it was quite a bit I think there was the but it's not quite a bit. I think it's really more personnel at this point. They do need to, I'm sure, clean up additional things in the scheme. Between that and the personnel changes, I think this team, I can I can really see it. A lot of people think it looks atrocious. Some people even say they feel like it was worse than years past. I think those people forget that even though, sure, we could stop the run, we've been up 415 yards a game for the first three games. It, you can't feel worse than that. Just period. I mean, run defense wasn't going to be as strong anyway as it had been in the past because 3-4, even though, you know, we're not strictly 3-4, but the 3-4 scheme is meant to account for more of the pass. But because our run defense has been so bad, the team's run defense has been so atrocious, there haven't been a ton of passes to defend because the key to winning is to just run on the team because it's such a liability. So I think if, I think the defense would be a stronger unit if they could not be such a liability in the run game. Sure, you know, teams will be able to run a little bit more, but make it to where it's league average. 
you know, force them that, you know, to pass from some time. For, have them, they may have to pass. And Tariq Woolen might have opportunities and things like that. I think this defense is stronger when the opposing offenses have to kind of play into its hands. Right now, none of the, team, none of the teams have had to. So those are my thoughts in terms of what went wrong, what could have won this team the game. But as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of positive outcomes. So we'll talk about those right now. So a few of these things I did kind of mention even as I was going through the negatives, but I want to spend a little bit more time on them. But the number one takeaway for me was the sustainability of the offense. The offense got 71 snaps, and they actually won time of possession. They won time of possession. They had 31 minutes and 46 seconds of time of possession compared to the Falcons, 28 minutes and 14 minutes in possession. That's a big win for the team. Uh, They were great on third downs. Great on third downs. Nine for 17. They were two for three on fourth downs. And so really a lot of positive things came out of this game. The run game was significantly better. The Seahawks had 112 yards of rushing. And that's a step in the right direction. Rashad Penny had 14 carries. He had 66 yards. Uh, DJ Dallas had 21 yards on three carries. And Ken Walker, the third Um, Did pretty well. I think he needs to work on playbook knowledge. But for three carries, he had 19 yards. So the the team averaged 4.9 a run, which is great. It's it's progress. I mean, it's not phenomenal. It's not elite or anything. But that's about average. That's what you would expect. And it could have been more, you know. Um, It could have been more. So... I, I just, I'm grateful for what the running backs were able to do. I think Rashad Penny shows just an explosion. Um, is he getting off for those long run plays? No, but I think the personnel has a lot to do with that. Gabe Jackson, as I mentioned, has aged tremendously. And I think it shows, you know, there really haven't been a lot of holes on the interior of that defense for them to run. And yet, Ken Walker, Penny, even DJ Dallas, they're making do with it. They're making the best out of it. And that's the best that you could hope to see. As I mentioned, Geno had great efficiency, 32 for 44. He threw, he ultimately ended up having 308 yards net. I said 325, that's what he threw for, but he, you know, he had sacks, so he lost 17 yards. But he averaged 7.4 yards a throw, you know, two touchdowns. He had that one interception at the end. But overall, a strong performance, I think, from Geno. He did just about everything you could ask for him, except for winning the game at the end. And even then, you have to admit that holding penalty probably cost them that drive. I think if that without that holding penalty, Gino, Gino gets it done. I think he, I, I, now I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily say he would get a touchdown, but I, I think the momentum was shifting. I think they had a good rhythm, the way things were going. I feel like they probably would have been able to go ahead and get that done given the circumstances. Even if Gino had to run for a few yards, I just, I think he would have found a way to make sure the team scored in the end had it not been for that holding penalty and he had to force things and you know you never really want you know trying to come outside of himself and force things to happen so because bad things will happen as it did so like I said a lot of positive takeaways from that end I was really happy to see that because the offense was able to sustain drives that we had a good performance from both Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett had nine receptions for 76 yards. You'd like to see him get going. DK had five receptions for 64 yards. He averaged 12 yards per 12.8 yards per reception. Great stuff. You love to see the tight ends get involved. Disley had three receptions for 34 yards. Even Goodwin had involved in a critical fourth down play, by the way, actually, where he got involved. But he had two catches for 31 yards. Fant got involved at four, kept at four receptions for 27 yards. DJ Dallas, even Penny Hark, uh, you saw Ken Walker get involved in the pass game, which was good. So he got three carries, 14 yards, which isn't great. But And he even did some fly sweeps over D. Eskridge, which is interesting 
and very curious. They really don't seem to have much belief in D. Eskridge, which is frustrating because we could have Creed Humphrey. Instead, I'd rather see this team with Creed Humphrey, given what we're looking, given with everybody's watching with Austin Blythe. But um, that's water on the bridge. You can't focus on that. But I just I liked what I saw. You, you saw Penny get you saw uh, not Penny, but Walker get involved in the catch game. You saw all the tight ends uh, have some production and contribute to the team, which has been rare. And so it was just good to see the diversity. I thought Shane Walter could have called a good game. There was some up-tempo. Uh, they just put together, I think, pretty strong drives and momentum. So I liked what I saw. Um, I did. You know, you saw some outside runs, those types of things. Everything wasn't in between the tackles because it can't be, not with those interior offensive linemen. And so – yeah, positive, positive things to take away from the game. I really think they put a lot on the table. They won the turnover battle because speaking of positive things, Tariq Woolen got his first interception and it was great to see. Yes, was it right at halftime in terms of game momentum? Was it a little meaningless? Yes. What were you talking at when you're talking about his what he projects and just how he got that and the speed with which he was able to kind of get up the field before somebody finally tackled him? That's stuff that's exciting to see. It's it's his third start, guys, and he's already got a pick. That's extremely promising. I don't care if it was at halftime or whatever, if it was kind of a throwaway, throwaway play. You just love to see that because he's been close. I mean, I've seen him be on the play a lot and have and have him have opportunities. I think he really he really can be the guy right now. His pass rating allowed is like 40.3, if I'm not mistaken. And so and for all that's top tier of all the cornerbacks who have started in all the games. So you just you love to see everything that Tariq Bullen is bringing to the table. I actually talked a lot about this possibility. Uh, I had another episode from June where I talked about how Tariq Bullen could be a future all pro. And it's looking, you know, he's got a lot, a lot to clean up, a lot to fix. But, you know, if he continues on this trajectory and cleans up some of those penalties, those mistakes, gets more comfortable get better at his recognition. I mean, he can be, I think he's got the possibility of being the best corner in the league for a long time. So great things that we're seeing from him looking really promising. As I mentioned, I also think that Jordan Brooks is looking better. He had a pretty high coverage grade. Actually, he ended up leading the team in Covered well, he had he had the second highest coverage grade on the team, and it, it wasn't super high. I'll get it, but it was it was decent. And knowing that Jordan Brooks has struggled in coverage like always, <laughs> it was good to see him have a sixty-seven point three because it's looked so bad, and because everybody else has been so bad. But both he and Tariq Woolen led the team in terms of coverage. Tariq Woolen had a sixty-nine point one grade. Like I said, Jordan Brooks had a sixty-seven point three grade. Jordan Brooks also had nine tackles this game. He led the team in tackles. And I saw some impactful tackles, too. Like, sometimes, yeah, there were tackles down the field. But I'm not sure that he was the one that screwed up on some of those. I really don't. Um, I also think that there were some tackles that were impactful, you know, for, you know, stop a two-yard run or what have you. I saw a little bit more of that. And, like I said, that's what let me know that schematically they've changed some things up because Jordan Brooks, at least, was a little bit more free to make plays, he was a little bit more free to do his job. So he's looking better. I think he's getting comfortable with the scheme because it is an adjustment for him too. He's been a four. He's been in a four three. Now three four. They're asking different things of him. He's also the defensive play caller, and so there's an adjustment there. I think my hope is that we can get back to seeing him play at an elite level, or potentially elite level. I think he can get there and. We're seeing progress. We'll see how it looks against the Lions, but I was encouraged, especially by him looking pretty good in coverage. You just love to see that from him in particular. So that was good. And then, like I mentioned, penalties. I talked about penalties going down. I was mistaken, actually. I thought that they had 50, 57 penalties. Turns out they actually only had 47 yards worth of penalties, and that's even better, right? So that really did clean some of that up. It's just with the timing 
but those penalties were not good enough. And the timing of the penalty can never be great, but the Damian Lewis hold was a critical one. And so there were six penalties in all for 47 yards. Like I said, you don't want to see that. I'd like to see that number get under 30. I think that would be reasonable. No, to get them getting no more than like two penalties, uh, one maybe on offense, one on defense. No, two to three. I'll give some grace because this is a young team, but that that's kind of what you you want to see, and that's what I think the team is at least training in the right direction in terms of getting that they were more clean in a lot of those areas. They especially with the cornerbacks, they were better. Um, just gotta the vets gotta do better. Damian Lewis, look at you. So anyway, um. That's sort of my general takeaways from the game. A lot of progression, a lot of significations that they could have won this game. But it came down to the wire. They made it entertaining. They were competitive at least. And ultimately lost. And that's okay. I can live with that. I'm not mad about the loss. Do I wish they'd won? Yeah. But, you know, the progress is the thing that matters most. And that's what I'm most encouraged by. So, in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about... about um, the Seahawks superlatives. We're going to do that. I want that to be a part of each and every post-game breakdown. So we'll talk a little bit about that right now. So before we get into our Seahawks superlatives to close us out, I want to do a little version of a player spotlight each week. And I want to recognize somebody that nobody's talking about. Nobody's really mentioning but that deserves some sort of praise or recognition because this is Seahawks 360 we like to look at everything from every angle right and our under the radar segment will allow for us to do that so I want to recognize Kobe Parkinson this week Kobe has had an interesting journey through this time with his time with the team but I think this year we're really starting to see him shine we're starting to see him contribute Right now, he's got a touchdown. He has caught 100% of his passes. Now, there's only four targets, and but he's caught all four. Um, and that's huge for a tight end. So, so far, so good with that regard. He's gained a lot when it comes to his blocking even. So, he ranks right now. PFF ranks him as a run blocker right now. He's at 59.5 is where PFF ranks him. But that was better than his rookie year. So he's improving in that regard, and I think he'll get better. I think you can see him even out around, maybe even get get up to 65. It'd be great if we could see him get close to 70, but he's trending in the right direction. And his pass block, his pass blocking, he's actually been one of the better pass blockers on the team. PFF gives him a 76.3, and so that's impressive. Overall, PFF grades him offensively as a 70.5, and there aren't a lot of guys who are, you know, getting above average grades right now on this team from PFF. And he stands out as one who's consistently um, being there, contributing to his offense on a regular basis, even if it's not, you know, splashy or anything like that. He's progressively getting better, and he's a positive on this team. And you want to see a young player, a draft prospect himself, people forget that, you know, this is third year, and he didn't really get to play a lot before now. So he's really shining, taking advantage of his opportunities. He's got a... Uh, 73.2 just in his past, like, you know, receiving right now, just because he's doing well. And so there's not a ton of talk about with him, but he's really coming on for a while that he looked like he just kind of be a nobody. But I think with the positions he's being put in with Shane Waldron, being able to take this offense a little bit more in the direction that he wants and Geno Smith being more apt to get the tight ends involved you're really seeing what the Seahawks saw in him. You know, he was like a fourth-round pick, so you weren't expecting anything particularly mind-blowing, but this is about what you'd like for him. I think he would, you know, if he were given the opportunities, he could be a reliable number two. I don't think he has a ceiling of a number one, but he could be a reliable number two if called upon, and I think that's what you could – I think that's the best that you could ask for. So, shout-out, Colby. Continue your good work. Now, let's get started with our – Seahawks superlatives. Now, I'll, I'll remind you guys of what we had last week, and I'll kind of compare, give any updates, etc., etc. So last week, I had most likely to get benched on offense. I had Gabe Jackson, and on defense, I had Daryl Taylor. That stands out to me as strong as ever. 
I'm gonna repeat this one just because I feel like it's so relevant. That's already happening with Daryl Taylor. He already lost a, you know, a fair amount of snaps. Pete Carroll implied that he was gonna lose even more significant snaps. I'm not sure if he's still gonna start or not. That's a question mark. Y'all know at this point, I'm team Boye. But regardless, he's in that, he's going in that direction. So for one more week, I'm gonna put Daryl Taylor. Gabe Jackson doesn't seem like, they don't seem like they're looking at benching him right now. I wish they would, but he was so bad. I mean, I mean, is he the reason we lost the game? No, but he just stands out to me on film as being such a weak link that I've just got to put this guy again. You know, I'll probably change it up for the next week so I'm not putting these guys over and over again, but I just feel like it merits two weeks in a row. Most likely to get benched for week three, Daryl Taylor, Gabe Jackson. Okay, so let's talk about most likely to succeed in our next game. Last week, I put DK Metcalf and Quandre Diggs. And while DK Metcalf had a much better week, it wasn't by any means elite. Of course, there's a ceiling on what elite's gonna look like in this offense this year. But Quandre Diggs sort of disappointed. He had unnecessary, he had a personal foul penalty, kind of unnecessary roughness, you know, hitting Mariota when he's already clearly going out of bounds. And he just had a few other hiccups that, I mean, he didn't pay poorly, but he he had the two missed tackles, like I mentioned. He just wasn't himself. So that one didn't end up panning out. But this week, I'm going to go with most likely to seed on offense. I think Rashad Penny can do well against this Lions team. I think that, that statistically, this Lions defense does not have a strong run defense. Right now, they are ranked number 27 and run defense. And so I think that's better than the Seahawks, but I think Rashad Penny will be able to take advantage. We could just get a little push from the interior defense, I mean, from the interior offense to make some holes. I think Rashad Penny can have a big game. I really do. So I'm gonna put him as most likely to succeed on offense. And on defense, I'm gonna put Jordan Brooks because I'm seeing him trending in the right directions. I saw him get a lot more tackles. I saw him and, and they and they were some, some impactful plays, I think, they're going to continue to work things up schematically. They already, Pete Carroll already talked about that. He's going to change some things up. If they're going with the bare fronts like they did before, I can see just Jordan Brooks thriving in that. And we'll see ultimately what those changes end up looking like. But I just think Jordan Brooks will have a much better game. I think we'll begin to see the Jordan Brooks that we saw before. The guy who tied Ray Lewis for most tackles in his first two seasons. So, moving on to our next category, most improved through week three. On offense, I'm going to give it to Geno Smith. Uh, Geno Smith has always been efficient. He's always been okay, but he's not been able to put points on the board. Um, he's just not to this point. That's been his biggest weakness. He hadn't really, with the exception of the Jaguars game, gotten the Seahawks anything more than 17 points. I mean, that was sort of his ceiling and what you can count on. And him being able to throw for over 300 yards while maintaining that efficiency, while having a couple of touchdowns. And really, like I said, he he had to visit, he put the team in position to get more. So they were at least going across the field because that was an issue before as well. Like he wasn't even able to get the team across the field. And, and I wasn't necessarily blaming Geno. I had a feeling that it was a scheme. And it was. That was proven. But just from the past six quarters of pretty much poor offense he was able to get this team you know 23 points and and put this team in a position to win he still you know could be better in a few areas but you know I think he is the most improved offensive player to this point so shout out Gino on defense most improved player is Tariq, Tariq Woolen as I mentioned he only had really the one penalty he did tremendously better um, than he did in that first game you could just see him growing each game. You could see him learning. He had his first interception. He's just progressing so well for a guy that nobody really thought we would see anything from in his initial year. So he would by far be most improved on defense. And best all-around performance is a little interesting. Last week, I had Tyler Lockett on offense, and I had Nuosu, Uchenna Nuosu on defense. I could put Tyler Lockett again as he did lead, lead the team in yards, but I'm going to go with Will Disley 
Will Disley has two touchdowns already, and it's just week three. Um, he's pretty much had two touchdowns or less every season except for 2019 when he had four touchdowns. So he's doing great offensively. He's really contributing. He has about 77 yards right now, eight catches, eight, eight targets, eight receptions, which means he's catching 100% of his passes as well. So he's been reliable in that regard, which is great to see because he had a couple preseason performances that made me question whether he was going to be able to be reliable in that regard. And we all know the blocking that he's providing. So really, I, I, I just think, is he splashy? No, but he really is solid in every aspect that the team has asked him to be. Um, similar to Kobe Parkinson, but he's doing it on an even bigger level because he's getting more snaps. Like I said, he's a better blocker. Um, I think he's even flashed more than Noah Fant has at this time, and everybody I'm sure thought it would be the opposite. I'm not saying that he's worth his contract, <laughs> that we're paying him, but I am saying that he's providing significant and meaningful contribution to this team, and that honestly the offense would look very different um, if he were not out there on the field because he is a difference maker even if he is sort of in the background. So shout out to Will Disley for being the best all around. And on defense, I have got to go with Big Al Woods. Team captain, uh, it just continues to age like fine wine. This man is 35 years old and is, I mean, dang near dominating. I mean, he's not getting a ton of snaps. They're trying to make sure they keep him fresh, but he is an absolute difference maker. He's provided some elements of the pass rush. Um, He's, he's got a pass deflected, actually. He's got uh, pressure. He's per, he's providing pressure, and he's and he's stopping the run. He's, he's the one when runs are stopped. It's kind of been him that's been a part of that. He is absolutely doing his job. You can turn on the film and you watch Al Woods, you are going to notice Big Al in the middle. I mean, even if you're watching the broadcast or the national broadcast, they shouted out him a few times. Because he's just that impactful. So, shout out to deep to, to defensive lineman Al, Al Woods, really being a leader, really being a captain, leading by example. At even 35 years old, he continues to impress me. And if there are, are not many things going right on this defense, you can count on Woods to absolutely do the right thing when you need it. So. That's all we got for the day. Guys, we'll have a preview for the upcoming Lions game coming up here in a couple of days. In the meantime, be sure to follow me on Twitter at CandiceH901. That's CandiceH901. And be sure to follow the show, Ethos Seahawks. If you're listening on YouTube, give a comment. Give your feedback. What you think of the game? What can we do better? Would you make any personnel changes? We'll love to hear your thoughts. Give us a five-star review if you're listening on iTunes. In the meantime, that's it. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.